Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph in Montreal. This is the 120th edition of the show. Thanks for tuning in. On the broadcast today, I'm going to be featuring a conversation I had with photographer Darren L. Darren has documented social movements and protests uh, for many, many years. And this is a conversation that we had about a series of photos that he shared that highlight movements on the streets. We see some photos from Occupy Wall Street, from the Quebec student strike in 2012, and from demonstrations in support of Palestinian human rights. I thought that in seeing these photos, it was an opportunity to have a conversation about the ways that these movements of popular mobilization on the street are connected. Uh, what are the through lines? What are the interconnections between these moments? Uh, we talked about the ways that the streets are really an avenue to highlight issues and struggles that are marginalized by the mainstream uh, political uh, frameworks, but also the mainstream media. And the four photos that we talked about were also moments where we shared space together at these protests. I remember the demonstration that he photographed in New York during Occupy Wall Street, and also the protests during the Quebec student strike against the hike in tuition for post-secondary institutions, and the protests in support of Palestinian human rights. So I thought this conversation would be interesting to have because it visits topics that are seemingly disconnected, but there is a connection in terms of the people who were present at these protests, at these mobilizations, and we look at them through the eyes of a, of a photographer. So here's my conversation with Darren L., um, and I'll leave it there. Here we go. First of all, just, just to start, like, why did you want to pull that together, sort of to put all these images in one place? What was the connection for you? Well, I think there was two connections. The first one was kind of a, uh, maybe a practical, professional reason was that uh, prior to COVID, I was traveling a fair bit. And then when COVID hit, that kind of shut down. And um, and I wasn't producing, I was producing new images, but they were very local, uh, mostly dealing with uh, environmental issues. Um, and so I wasn't producing anything that was related to human rights. And so I sort of was looking at my site and I realized I had, I had just been actually, had just been to these, uh, some of the demonstrations uh, organized by the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, who I don't uh, agree with, uh, but uh, I wanted to document some of this to see just what was happening here in Montreal and uh, there was a good shot that came out of that and I thought well you know why don't I put these together uh, with because it has been uh, something I think it's a thing that a lot of uh, freelance photographers do is is um, demonstrations the reason being it's uh, it can provide very dramatic images uh, for one thing just from a visual point of view uh, but for me They've always been, um, I don't just go to sort of any demonstration. I usually will pick a demonstration that is connected to something that is linked to uh, Canada. So the things you mentioned, um, uh, the bombing of, 
of Palestine, of course, uh, the Canadian foreign policy on, on Palestine is horrific, it's uh, terrible. Um, and that, of course, connects to uh, Lebanon, uh, which was bombed by Israel. Um, uh, and then uh, the local issues, uh, the student demonstrations, um, how do I connect that? I, I think that when we look at these, do you want me to go right into that? Uh, sure. Yeah, I think that these issues, um, be it student debt, uh, the bombing of a foreign country, um, Occupy Wall Street, uh, if you look at the nuts and bolts of those issues, they are connected to issues of ruling elites uh, who are connected globally. Um, that are, you know, they're running societies or they're running major corporations that are connected in all these different ways uh, through politicians and that affects the way that states are managed and, and states uh, deal with their citizens. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, neoliberal policies uh, will prioritize uh, profit above giving, you know, indebted students a break. Um, weapons manufacturers will gleefully supply uh, a country like Israel with the bombs that they need to oppress uh, peoples around, you know, in, in their region. Um, Occupy Wall Street is the, Wall Street is a sort of the, the hub of the nexus, which is global capitalism. Uh, and we saw what that was, which was bailing out uh, powerful institutions, the wealthy, uh, and leaving the victims, the ordinary people, um, uh, you know, to fend for themselves in the aftermath of that. So, and Haiti, we can look at Haiti too, but I don't think that's in the, the pictures that you selected. Um, so, I, I see them as connected, um, and and the the choices are, uh, you know, if I go to if I go through my the years that I've worked on these issues from uh, um, going, photographs from. West Bank or Gaza, through to the uh, victims of the security certificates, uh, which was an exhibition of people in Canada, refugees, largely, many of them Muslim, who had been uh, targeted by the uh, Canadian state for uh, bogus reasons related to security. Um, moving on to the coup in, in uh, Haiti, um, and then I've been looking at uh, what else since then they the moved into looking at uh, reasons why immigrants uh, leave their countries that was a, a whole body of work about various countries that that people leave and the reasons that they leave um, and then moving forward to the students just the simple fact of neoliberal policies and their impact here at home and uh, and through all of these different projects, uh, there's, there's been demonstrations. All, there's always demonstrations. Demonstrations are a sort of explosion of frustration when the political process isn't working and people are not being paid attention to it, not being listened to. And so people hit the streets and hope that cameras and journalism and, and public opinion will slowly shift. Um, and so those, I would say, are some of the the factors that have led me to to shoot some of these uh, these issues. So, I mean, often protests are so ephemeral, you know, and I think that's something to 
maybe look at because protests have a huge place in shaping public opinion and even pushing changes in government policy or corporate policy but not a lot of people understand the mechanisms of how protests happen how they're organized um, there's this sort of sense sometimes I feel like that they just ha happen organically it's not the case you know I know you you're familiar with the process of how protests take place obviously you know listeners of this podcast will know that we feature many voices of people involved in this type of organizing um, but why documenting the ephemeral right like I think about the image from Occupy Wall Street and we both uh, we went to Occupy Wall Street together and there's this over um, image on your on your page where you see a, one of the concrete tables and you know this was in 2010 um, and so there was you know a different set of technologies but people had sort of plugged in batteries with laptops with like Wi-Fi connectors and it was sort of one of the media hub tables um, and you really get the sense of how people set up this whole like protest infrastructure in a park. But there's something so ephemeral about that. And what I really appreciated about your photo is you get the sense both of the ephemeral, but all the effort and the energy and the, like the care that went into like making that possible, which was so intense. But what do you remember from that moment? Why did you take that photo? What struck you from what was going down at Occupy Wall Street. That uh, image, uh, I think I selected two images in that collection of photos I have on my website from Occupy Wall Street. One was kind of a classic image. I think it was sort of iconic. I think I had seen it after in, in, in the media. It was this character that was there that had a dollar bill strapped across his mouth and a, like a little American flag. And... Um, I thought that was intriguing, but this this other photo, which is the one I picked, was that you know this the title of my little my collection of photos is speaking out, and you see the sort of nuts and bolts of speaking out. Uh, it's not just people with megaphones which attracts photographers. They all say that open mouths attract photographers. You know, the people yelling and screaming, and and I have that. Um, but this one is different. This is the technological element of organizing a protest or organizing a movement which now is happening yeah computers and, and social media uh, cell phones um, in ways that you know before uh, 2006 was just uh, it was nowhere near what it is today and the the movement uh, the student movement here in Montreal was the same uh, in Quebec but it happened a lot of it happened in Montreal uh, you know, you would start a demonstration with 500 people within a half an hour, there'd be 10,000. And that was people on their cell phones going, okay, we're at the corner of, you know, Peel and St. Catherine now, and, and just, oh, you know, people would be flowing into these demonstrations and to the point where at one point they reached almost a half a million. Um, so the, uh, the communication, it's been, it's been a gift, I think, to uh, social movements, uh, and I think it reflects also the, I don't know if I would call it a betrayal, but I would call it uh, just an evolution towards the irrelevance of mainstream media. Uh, it's, I, that's a funny subject because uh, I think as I get older, I'm just seeing more and more the holes in mainstream publications. Um, 
so many, so many stories. Most, in fact, all the ones that I've documented have just, you know, you really had to go outside of the mainstream to get a bigger picture, a better analysis. Um, not necessarily more, more iconic photos because there are fantastic photographers working at mainstream journals and mainstream uh, publications. Uh, but surrounding those photographs, the story surrounding those photographs, to get that uh, bigger picture, uh, I've always had to go, many, most of the time, I have to go outside of the mainstream to get it, to read. Not to see images necessarily, but to read. Um, so that photo of people, you know, from above, you look at all the hands and the t cell phones and the wires and the computers and everything, uh, to me that's a little look at the network that makes uh, organized protest possible and and so if you say it's ephemeral and I agree with you that it is, it is ephemeral and and for example it, it brings to mind the the Palestine uh, the, the BDS movement and organizing for Palestine I remember back in 2002 this is when I went to the, to the Gaza Strip into uh, to the West Bank um, I remember the protests in Montreal were were impressive. Uh, uh, that time, there were you know ten thousand, fifteen thousand regular people regularly in the streets, uh, and of course it was a devastating time for for Palestinians. Uh, a lot of that, and in fact, I spent a year going. I, 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 even at that time, I was interested in how it how it works. How does organizing work? And so I published a, a, a photo series photo essay on electronic intifada where it was just simple photos of meetings, um, cultural events, um, demonstrations, people talking, uh, publications, you know, all these little events that probably 30 or 40 events that I attended in the space of a year, maybe more, uh, to just show that all these little events um, are part of a bigger network and today uh, so that photo that is the new network in some respects the new technological network that is linking people but um, uh, the uh, I, today um, I, I've been watching quite closely the last hmm, two three weeks what's going on in, in in Palestine just through Twitter and it's horrifying it's it's devastating what's what continues to go on but it's really uh, right now, it's um, because of cell phones. We're getting it's a new. I mean, I'm maybe I haven't been following it enough, but lately I've just been how much you see daily, every day you just see abuse upon abuse upon abuse heaped upon Palestinians, uh, and the um, there's not as many demonstrations. But if you look at Twitter, you see things, people speaking out. You see. Uh, the BDS movement, which is everywhere, it's got tentacles everywhere, it's reaching into, uh, you know, it's pressuring uh, investments, it's pressuring governments, uh, it's active in many quarters of society. That's not a demonstration, it's not an ephemeral demonstration, it's a level of organization I don't think that was there before. So, the photograph is great, uh, and I think we've had this discussion before about how effective is a photograph. Um, yeah, a photograph has its place, but it certainly <laughs> would never replace all of this work that is being done to to change uh, a cruel situation uh, in another part of the world.
Well, you know, what I really appreciated about this page, Darren, on your on your website was to see these images from different moments. And I think that social media, I completely agree that in these uh, more sort of contemporary moments, in the moment, it can be such a um, helpful organizing tool when there's a context, when things are happening. But there's also not a lot of archiving, right? Clear archiving. And what I appreciated about this page was, you know, as somebody who's been part of organizing and activism for two decades now, I just appreciated seeing, you know, and knowing your work, seeing these images together, you know, in a clear way that it doesn't even need words, but I see the connections between mm -hmm. the pieces, right? And and I think, you know, photography can play such an important role and intentional photography that is archiving and, and, and sort of creating common reference points, you know, and just like on an emotional level, seeing those images from those different moments just felt really meaningful for me because you see these, you know, I mean, I was actually at those four images that, yep. you know, you were there too, obviously mm -hmm. with yep. your camera, clearly, but you know, it's just really cool to see them in the same place. But, and I think this is a point, you know, and I was talking with a, a um, graphic artist in Brooklyn recently uh, at Just Seeds Artist Cooperative, Josh McPhee. And we were talking about the terrible job that social media does at creating archives, right? And, you know, uh, it's, it, I agree, it's a great tool, but, um, yeah, but there's this tension right now because it's one thing to have an image pass on Twitter and have it have a big impact for 48 hours. But that importance of sort of intentional long-term archiving, uh, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, it's a, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, you talk about ephemeral. I mean, the digital image uh, confused photographers at the beginning, I think. Uh, it was a big technological shift professionals, amateurs, it was a big technological, it was a big expense, it was a big technological change, uh, threw a lot of people out of business, it changed the way that uh, news photos are circulated, uh, so, you know, what used to be, um, you know, a photographer from Montreal would get sent by a newspaper to Palestine to shoot, all of a sudden, no, no, we don't need you anymore, we got the internet and we got a guy over there, so it, it really shut down a whole type of working, uh, not completely, but it certainly uh, changed the dynamics of the way that uh, images were uh, shared. And there's also a glut of images, uh, you know, I mean, a, an average news editor, let's say, I think there was, they interviewed, for example, the editor of The Guardian, and I think they said they usually rip through about 15,000 photos a day to pick, you know, for their publications. That's a lot of images to look at, and it's just because there's so many images now. Everybody's taken them. Everybody's got a, a either a website or they're connected to some sort of agency, and so they're trying to go through all these things. And um, so, yeah. So, which images do you pick? That's a long process. For me, it's a long process uh, picking the best one or the most meaningful one. But also, what do you do with them? And it's a, it's the work photographers I know that are particularly uh, documentary photographers who shoot a lot of photos, portrait photographers would maybe have fewer, but uh, archiving them. Used to be, you know, it would be on negative, you would have them in small books, 
you would label the books, you would label the page with your thing, you would put a little red square around the particular image, and now you've got this, you know, you come home with 500 shots and you keep five or 10. So you gotta go through and you gotta, it's a long pro computer process, there's a lot of computer time. Uh, but a lot of time, I spent a lot of time trying to organize an archive. Um, and uh, and I, I agree with you that seeing a quick image on the internet, you go, oh my God, and it's gone. And you'll never, maybe never see it again, probably never see it again. Because we flip, we scroll, we, we move quickly. Uh, and that's why I do like um, books or photo essays are also good, but I really read photo books. I love photo books. Um, some of my favorite photographers are members of maybe the Magnum Agency or, or others that work through documentary uh, processes but are not necessarily a member of an agency like Magnum, but they make books, they're bookmakers. And their idea is, look, I'm not making the image for the newspaper story. I'm going to spend three years, five years, ten years going and coming back, going and coming back to this place and I'm going to put together a story that is kind of an argument. By the end of the book, you're like, okay, this guy just, or this woman just made an argument. And uh, I can see one image. You can sort of lie to me with one image, maybe. I can't get the whole picture. But if you have 50 or 100 of them, and I start looking at that book more and more, I go, okay, I, I, I think I know what you're talking about here. Uh, so that's a form of permanence by putting these images in a book with some context, written context, usually the beginning of the end. Uh, and um, yeah, so, so it's a way of going away from the single image, which can be fleeting, to nailing it down to a collection uh, which has more, more impact. Maybe COVID has, and the pandemic has created um, more awareness of sensations and smell, taste, touch, being in presence of others in the context of moments, right? And seeing your images, one of the first things that came to my mind when I saw the images from these protests is I remembered the temperatures mm. and the sense of the air. I remember mm. there's a photo from Victoriaville in Quebec during the student strike in 2012 when the Liberal Party of Quebec was having a Congress there and students went to confront that meeting. I remember it was raining and it was still chilly, not really cold, but it was late spring in Montreal. And I remember the rain, I remember the sound of the helicopters and how the tear gas mixed with the rain. And then there was a photo of the protest um, against the bombing of Gaza, I believe that was in 2008. It could have been in 2012. Unfortunately, there number was a number of attacks, but I do remember that protest because you see one Palestinian youth on the shoulders of another person. And I just remember that action. I'm pretty sure it's that one. It was so cold. And I remember it was January or February. I remember some of those. Yeah, yeah and it was like yeah. minus 28. Yeah. And I remember just the feel, the emotion of us being together in the streets yeah. when it was so cold. And then there's a protest from 2006 uh, against the bombing of Lebanon. And I'd, I'd been in Lebanon during that time. And I, I returned and I was at this protest. And I remember how humid it was. And we were at like 
the park downtown and just the emotion of everybody together and and then occupy wall street where there it was hot and it was humid and we we're in this park and you could smell the people you could smell the people who'd been sleeping there the food people were bringing pizza you know there is a i remember at one point an electricity smell because the battery some smoke mm -hmm. on the battery but i think that maybe you know it's just i'm just sharing this with you as a photographer because seeing those images because i was present with you and many others at these events what was cool about them grouped together is it allowed me to sort of reflect on those moments and the sensations right and how these politics in a sense is these moments right like and and it's hard to replicate that through a screen right mm -hmm. and and i think we're all trying to figure that out but photos are maybe like can be a portal for memory too very much and i think you're probably what you're talking about overall i think is the the question of the viewer who is viewing the photo uh, if the viewer is was there if the viewer is in the photo uh, they have, or if the viewer is very deeply concerned about the question, they have a very different reaction than someone that's than someone that's flipping through a newspaper and goes, "Oh, there's a picture of where is that? Oh, that's Gaza. Oh, yeah, okay." And they flip, and they they have no connection to the image. Um, so the viewer uh, brings something to that picture, a lot of things to that picture, and it's a problem of photography because. Um, it's a problem of the still image in some ways. There's uh, uh, an author, Susan Sontag, uh, American intellectual who, I think in the 70s, 80s, I can't remember when the book was published, but on photography is the name of the book. And, and she talked about how, and she talked about, I think it was the Palestinian issue. And she said, look at, uh, look at that photo of a, you know, I think she referred to like a, a, a Palestinian that's been shot or something. And you might have two different reactions depending on who's looking at that photo. If it's a Palestinian or a Palestinian supporter, if it's an Israeli uh, who is deeply immersed in the belief that, you know, the occupation and Zionism is right on, you have very two very different reactions to what is actually true about that photograph. Uh, and it's a problem, I think, for photography that somewhat unresolvable uh, and I think it's why text is, is often added uh, to say here's what happened here's when it happened here's the context it happened in um, and I come back to the mainstream <laughs> which sometimes I have seen uh, uh, captions that have left me unsatisfied in terms of what I'm looking at um, and also, it leads me to the idea of what I was referring to before, the book where, okay, one image, but give me 50 or 75. Mm -hmm. And you, you can't really, you can't as easily uh, uh, misinterpret the one image because there's so many others that are buffering it and supporting it. So, photography is limited mm -hmm. as a medium, as a truth-telling medium. Um, but it's never going, I don't think it's ever going to disappear. It's been in some ways replaced in some forms by video, uh, as video technology, uh, television technology became very right on to the, you know, our back pockets with a cell phone. Uh, it is a, I think it's, it's a medium that gives a lot more information. You were talking about senses. It allows us to see and hear. 
Um, and so those are two very together those two uh, and and see here and it moves and it goes through time whereas the the image of a photograph is still there's no sound um, uh, so we interpret it more I yeah. would think we're not being directed as much but the beauty of that to me is that it becomes somewhat like a painting in the sense that it's a two-dimensional image and I think memory functions to some extent that way I th memory can have a uh, it, we can hear memories sometimes we can remember sounds but there's a lot of images that flash through our minds and so a single image can really uh, stay with people and that's maybe the the powerful side of uh, photography that was a conversation with Darren L, who's a photographer. He's been documenting social movements uh, within uh, Quebec, Montreal, but also internationally for many years. He's traveled and worked in Haiti and occupied Palestine um, at the refugee camps at the borders of Europe and Greece. Uh, I really respect his work and I wanted to have a, a conversation with him after I saw a series of photos that he shared about social movement protests. And this is our conversation about those works uh, that was featured on the program today. Thank you for tuning in to Free City Radio. I'm your host in Montreal, Stefan Christophe. We share a new episode every week. I'm going to go out on the program today with a beautiful piece of music by the artist KMRU. I will talk to you next week and thank you for tuning in. Thank you.